Lizzie Jensen is a mother of five, an attorney, entrepreneur, and the founder of a nonprofit designed to bring women of faith together called The Small Seed. In today's podcast, my dear friend Lizzie shares what inspired her to start The Small Seed from a hospital bed while carrying high-risk twins and why she feels so passionately about having a place for women to share about and strengthen each other's faith. Lizzie talks to me about why she believes it's so important to have diversity in the religious backgrounds of those she brings onto her team at The Small Seed. And we also talk about why religious freedom must be battled for right now in our schools and places of worship and even in the workplace. She brings the fire today talking about why modern discipleship is something we have to embrace together rather than having differences tear us apart in our growingly divisive world. All right, today I have a dear friend of mine, Lizzie Jensen, who is the founder of The Small Seed, and I am so thrilled to have her with me and so excited to talk to her about a topic that we're both very passionate about. And so, Lizzie, just introduce yourself and tell people a little bit about who you are. Thank you, and thanks so much for having me. Um, So I am a founder of the Christian nonprofit Small Seed, which I started in 2012. Um, the mission of Small Seed is a non-denominational Christian nonprofit is to really empower a generation of modern disciples, but also inspire all believers to work together. Um, I'm a mom of five under eight and a <laughs> quote unquote retired attorney, um, originally from a small town in Utah, but have spent the last decade in the suburbs of New York City with our family before moving back to my college hometown. Um, so a little bit about me, a little bit about our family. Um, I'm really excited to be on here with you today. We've got to tell the story of the first time that we met just really quick because it's so funny. Um, so I was okay. in the airport with my sister, Brooke, and we were going to New York Fashion Week. And I'm trying to remember if you were, do you remember like you were coming off the plane and I was going on or something like that? Do you remember yes. where that interaction happened? I remember we were walking, we were walking down one of the airport terminals. So I think we yeah. were about to board and you had just gotten off because we were in New York. So, yeah. Oh yes. That yep. does make sense. Yes. And I, I kind of looked at her and then I looked at her husband, Dave, and I knew Dave from college and was like, Oh, that's funny. Like she looks familiar and I know this guy. Anyway, you tell your side of what, what you remember. So I, we were headed to go I think a couple of weeks from then to the same conference. So yes. I recognized you because I had known from this conference list and, you know, we passed you, but I had never met. And I was like, oh, I should go say hi. And my husband's like, he, you know, when in doubt, always say hi, I call everyone your friends. Like that's just yeah. his personality. And so I was like, oh, I think that's that girl, Corinne. And he's like, well, go say hi. I'm like, well, she doesn't, she doesn't know me at all. She wouldn't recognize me. He's like, you go now. So I like run over. I'm like, hi. And you're like, oh, I actually know your husband. We just started laughing. So the best was going back to my husband. He was like, see, it wasn't that bad. I was like, well, yeah, because she knows you. <laughs> and it's funny because I'm sure he had absolutely zero recollection of me. But um, anyway, <laughs> so, it's just totally funny right, how it was such a small world and we just crossed paths then and then became good friends right after. And uh, but totally one of those funny little moments where it's like, it just was meant to be that we walked right past each other. Yes. So anyway, I um, 
So Lizzie, I want you to talk about what drew you to feel this calling to start a nonprofit and bring Christian women together. Why are you passionate about this? I I think it's probably a combination maybe of two things. I think first had a lot to do with just growing up. I grew up in a really faith-filled house. um, And through those years, my faith gifted me with that deep feeling that I was known and loved, which I don't know if there's more I would want for my own kids, right. Than feeling mm-hmm. like they mattered and were loved and, um, and that I had a work to do. Um, it saw me through the hard times and was comforting and kind of was all those things. So that first, that just that bedrock of faith, which eventually led me to serve as a missionary for 18 months for, um, in Croatia as a missionary for my church, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So that was all, I think the foundational groundwork that was laid. Um, but where I, the real commission came, I think, was a combination of a few things that happened in law school in New York City. Um, the first was in my last year of law school, I got put on in this cool class. It was a humans right, human rights class. And we had three, three different projects we could be assigned to. One of them was religious liberty. And I was just like, please say I get put on this religious liberty case because I was super interested in it. I definitely was the only one who had done mission trips in that class and thought yeah. I had a chance. So I was put on the case and found out it was a religious asylum case. Um, So we were, the objective of what we were trying to do in our project was figure out how to help countries determine whether religious asylums um, or those religious refugees were really refugees for religion, or if they were just trying to escape their country for other reasons. And this is kind of an interesting problem because it's like, how would you really know if someone comes in your country, like, okay, did you really convert to Christianity? That's a weird case for a caseworker to sit down and ask questions about. And we learned pretty quickly, the questions were weird. It was like, you know, they, they're coming from these Middle Eastern countries. They don't have access to a Bible and they're asked to list off 10 prophets and they're asked to memorize scriptures. And these people can't go to church and they can't, like, they don't read anything. So how are they going to have these facts down? Right. Um, right. What they did to siphon off and decide whether or not these were religious um, refugees. And so we got to come up with some better questions to ask to help see, you know, was there really religious feeling there? What were the experiences you had? Or why did you know, rather than just factual answers, which I think is the coolest thing. But um, what was really interesting for me and really started impacting me, I think emotionally was reading through these hundreds of cases of religious refugees who had been through unbelievable persecution. And this Mm -hmm. is not a hundred years ago or 200 years ago or a thousand years ago. This is right now, eight years ago. Um, people who were having like acid blinding, so they couldn't read the Bible when people found oh out gosh. they were totally thrown out of their communities, um, obviously, and were not accepted by their families. And so it just kind of, it opened my eyes to the religious persecution that's happening right now in our world, um, mm-hmm. right here. And so I think that was, that was kind of the one thing that started happening in law school. Then two, I'm living in New York and I come from Utah, which is a pretty religious climate in New York City. And the social climate there is very open to a lot of things. You can talk about politics all you want. You can talk about sexuality all you want. You know, there's a lot of things that aren't off the table, but religion is still very uncomfortable and feels like increasingly more so. And I think I was really bothered that even though I had served as a missionary for 18 months, I had talked about faith for you know, nonstop every day. And still I didn't have a skill set to make that a, a comfortable, normal conversation. 
Like I was still really, really awkward about it. And I hated that because I thought, man, faith has helped me so much in my life. It bugs me that that just can't be something I can be better at doing. Um, and then right as I finished law school, my husband and I had been trying to get pregnant and have a baby for a while and hadn't been able to. I get pregnant right as I'm taking the bar, which was fun being nauseous, studying for the bar. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> um, but then it, it kind of led me to this crossroads. Like I had, I was one of six growing up. I wanted a good family. I wanted to be there for my kids. But now I also have this legal training and I'm in New York where attorneys can get paid a lot of money and kind of right. just like, oh, what is that thing? Um, and how can I really use my education for good? Um, and at the perfect storm, I was given this book, The Power of Everyday Missionaries by Clayton Christensen, who I know we have a shared love for as a business mentor and a life mentor. Yes. Um, but as I read that book, he talked about how to talk about faith. And he talked a lot about sharing faith online and having these natural conversations and just being able to really sh share with people the blessing it could be for them in a way that was not off-putting and not pressuring and things like that. And honestly, the, when I read those words, there were a couple chapters in there and it was like, this is your commission. This wow. is, um, which starting a blog was the farthest thing from my mind and <laughs> promoting a blog even farther still. Um, but I think from that point on, it was kind of undeniable, like this is your work and it's kind of gone from there. Yeah. And we have a funny story about Clayton Christensen too. I saw Lizzie probably the year after we met in also so in New York. Yeah, also in New York. Yes. We were at church in the Manhattan building, which if you've ever been there, um, it also houses the Manhattan Temple. And so we were on whatever floor that is that they do sacrament meeting that just like the regular church service every Sunday. And I'm standing there talking to Lizzie and all of a sudden she says, oh my gosh, I need to go talk to this, this guy. He's like one of, he's, he like changed my life. He's like one of my mentors. And I just was like, okay. And so she goes over and fangirls and talks to this guy. And, and I was just kind of like, okay, sure, whatever. And that was before I had read the power of everyday missionaries and uh, how will you measure your life? And before those books changed my life. And so I was kind of just sitting there going, yeah, sure, whatever. And, and now, you know, yes. I, I would completely do the same. Um, he's, it's really sad. He's since passed away, but funny that yep. I was in the same room and had absolutely no idea who he was at the time, but Lizzie did. <laughs> so well, it's, it is funny just the people that you're heroes and like most of the people, the world would fangirl. I probably don't even know who they are, but <laughs> well, tall, lanky Clayton Christensen, I could pick out and yeah, yeah, that was really neat. That was a cool moment. Um, even in retrospect, I was like, well, I, I can look back and say, well, I was, I was in the same room as him at one time, yes, that's right. even that's if right. I didn't know who he was. So, okay. So you read the power of everyday missionaries. You felt this calling. Then what did you do? How did it turn into the small seed? Um, so then actually I had been reading an advanced copy of that book and mm -hmm. some people had asked, they were trying to promote the book to just take notes of questions or what was really impacting you. And so I, was just writing it down and then just started writing. I didn't really think they would read it. Right. So I was pretty personal in my comments. Like, this is so weird. I'm, you know, this whole chapter on blogging, which I have no interest in doing. And I'm feeling like so moved. And I'm also feeling a lot of opposition, which is also a good key to me. Like, why would I feel opposition? Everyone was starting family blogs in 2012. Like that wasn't even a weird thing. Right. Right. The fact that I was feeling insecure about it was like, okay, that's another key. And submitted the papers. And the next day, this guy, Reed Davis, who I just love, calls me back and says, 
you know, we've had about 150 people read this, write their comments, whatever. And I felt very pulled to talk to two people and you're one of them. Is there anything wow. I can do to help you? Is there anything you need on this journey? Like it was pretty unmistakable for me reading through this papers, these papers as well in your notes that you need to do this. And I was like, okay, second witness. Now I really can't turn back. Right. Pretty unmistakable. And that confirmation came again in the call in the call with him. And so I just said, you know what? I'll just take the next step. Found a designer to do some family blog, started getting things ready, had a few posts in mind, and thought, I'll just share my experiences and stories and whatever. And then right about, when was it? About two months before I was going to launch, found out we were pregnant with twins. So this all Mm -hmm. happened. Yeah, they're all very close. The three girls at the top are very close in age. When we found out we were having twins, it was really high risk. Found out in my first appointment at 10 weeks that it was twins, that they were sharing the same amniotic sac that there was like a 50% chance we would make it to 24 weeks. And if we made it to 24 weeks, we, they would need to t- then go to the hospital at Yale full-time until 32 weeks when they would take the babies. And that was all one appointment. And my husband wasn't there, which was quite oh, an Wow. So then I kind of just sat back and was like, okay, how is this going to work? Like if the blog- What did life look like then too? You said your husband wasn't there. So were you still working a little bit or were, and what was Dave doing? What, what did life look like? Yeah. So I actually had been doing some, um, estate planning work with a financial investment firm. Dave was doing private equity in, um, just in the suburbs of New York city. We were living in Connecticut and I had tried to get in. This is silly story, but our our oldest daughter was almost one. Mm -hmm. And if, because we had these friends who had kind of been on that journey and knew we weren't able to have a lot of kids, I thought, man, if we're really pregnant, with the second one, we were doing a little Latin themed party. You know, she may be only Uno, but we'll soon be having numero dos. So I was trying to get in to the <laughs> ultrasound really fast before her birthday party to make sure it was a viable pregnancy. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to share with friends. And little did we know it wasn't, new, you know, numero dos, but it was dose and it was two. Um, <laughs> oh my so gosh. Because of that, I just picked some slot and he had a meeting and couldn't come, but it was just like, we were just checking the heartbeat, you know, it was yeah. that first birthday. So I wasn't really concerned about it. And we had had friends who had just found out they were having triplets just before this. And so I don't know if that was what was on my mind, but I left the house and literally said to him in the little door, in the doorway, you know, you're really going to regret you didn't come if we find out it's twins. Literally said that. Wow. (laughs) As a total joke, like not like having some spiritual feeling, um, so then when I call him after the appointment, trying to figure out how am I going to tell him all this news? Like, yeah. this is a lot to unload. And he, the first thing he says is, so is it triplets? Picks up the phone. Is it triplets? I'm like, no, but it is twins. And he just, you know, he you were the phone, totally thinks I'm joking. Yeah. I convince him and then get, you know, spill out, but it's actually high risk and tell him all the other details that are kind of as big of a deal as the twin detail. And about five minutes into it, he's like, I'm so sorry. You lost me at its twins. I need you to start over. I'm like, okay. Oh my gosh. Focus. This is all really important. So, I mean, life was a little bit crazy. And um, as it went on, that's exactly what happened. The girls made it to 24 weeks, identical girls. And mm-hmm. then I was checked into the hospital for two full months where I couldn't leave the bed. I was on heart rate monitors for each twin. Um, and then I'm just kind of laughing like, oh my goodness, God, I'm like thinking it's this big deal. Like I'm going to be helping other people. 
but you were just saving my sanity. Like you knew I'd be sitting in bed with nothing to do an hour away from my family um, where I get visitors and the visitors were so sweet, but it wasn't every day I had someone up there to see me. Uh, and now I have something productive and I have something where I can be focusing on faith and light. And so then I just kind of laughed like, okay, this probably won't do good for anyone else, but if it gets me through these two months in this room, I'm so grateful that I listened to this feeling and prompting and had the blog all ready to go. So I could just come in here and write and focus. Yeah. Wow. What a story. That's really incredible. So after that, what did, how did the small seed evolve and what did it turn into? So I had a couple friends randomly in the hospital just reach out to me like, okay, this might sound a little crazy, but would you ever want some team members? Do you need any help on the blog? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, I mean, again, just seeing God open the doors that needed to open. We ended up having the twins. My time was pretty crazy with three kids under 16 months at that point, um, basically little triplets. And so having then that team was amazing and we could carry yeah. it on. And Small Seed from that point has kind of evolved. I think we've had different chapters as businesses do. For a while at the beginning, it was a lot of blogging, a lot of writing, sharing stories. Um, We started sharing a lot of other people's stories as well. And you were one of the first ones, which was just the best. And we're going to have to reshare that because we've just redone the website. Um, But just talking about, you know, we thought we realized a lot of people don't, they may talk about fashion or they may talk about go into work, into business and do these things, but to start an entire blog just about their faith, they may not feel like they have a platform to share Um, or felt like their story matters. And we thought, why don't we use this platform not just to tell my story or my team stories, but let's tell these other broader stories. And one, give them the bug and the excitement of what it feels like. It's scary. Mm-hmm. It's really weird to talk about. Maybe if you haven't, and that was kind of the mission, right? Like it, it might feel weird, but there's no reason why it should feel weird. We talk about way more uncomfortable things. Right. So should not be one of those things. Yeah. And that was, that was my experience for sure. You mentioned that I, I, did a story for you guys. And at the time it felt like, okay, this is a good way for me to share my testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because my blog's a fashion blog and I don't talk about, it might, it might be funny for someone who has followed, hasn't followed me for more than four or five years to hear this because that's been such a strong part of even I would even say like my brand or who I am or what we talk about. But mm-hmm. at first it was exactly like you're describing, very scary for me. And it felt totally out of place and I felt super nervous about it. So the small seed did give me the very first opportunity to share on someone else's platform and then just push people over there and say, hey, if you've ever wondered what what my religious beliefs are or my faith or anything like that, you can go read it over on this blog. And that was as, that was as much as I was willing to do at that time. And you're exactly right too, that it did kind of plant this seed for me, like the small seed. (laughs) It kind of started this, um, desire to do more because it feels so good to start somewhere and to do something. And it was way less intimidating than having to do it all on my own platform. So I'm super grateful for that. Hmm. It's funny. I hadn't even thought of that when we were getting ready to do this podcast until we just talked about that. And that is, that's really neat. Um, so it evolved into that, which ironically, we've started doing that now on our Instagram and in kind of short story form, which I'm loving sharing these stories again. And then we had a few years where we really focused on traditions. So things to do with your family, with, um, with kids, especially we really focused on for Christmas, for Easter, for Thanksgiving, working on gratitude and 
Um, that was really good for our brand, but I think also for our own families and for families yeah. that share this with, to have some visual, to make faith, not just a church thing, not even just your religion thing, but to have this broader base of families who said, you know, this matters to me too. And to, again, kind of keep taking the lid off the box of it's okay to talk about religion. It's okay to yes. talk about faith. This is the thing that is going to do so much. And I have a, such strong feelings about that just in general of the power of faith in our families and our communities and in our nations. Um, but then we went from there and then we really just kept feeling like we, the question we get often is how did how do you study? How do you get anything out of your study? I open my Bible or my book of Mormon or my book of scripture and I just really struggle. I fall asleep. Yeah. It just, it feels dead to me. Right. And so we kind of just put our heads together as a team. We had a pretty big team at this point and said, what, what is it that unlocks scripture study for you? Is there some kind of a formula we can teach or something that can just help people do this more easily? And we realized we all kind of followed the same similar pattern. It wasn't rocket science and it wasn't like you have to do this when you read, but we thought maybe if we teach this, this can be really helpful. Um, and so we came out with just some downloadable sheets that you could throw in a three ring binder and do your scripture study in a way that it helped you write, which there's so much in literature about the power of writing to mm -hmm. unlock your conscious, slow your brain down, which heaven knows we need in today's world. Um, and we just sold them as that. And then the next year, we thought, what if we actually produce that study journal? Um, finding a cute three-ring binder is actually not easy. <laughs> We've realized on Amazon, like they're all like just kind of for school kids. And so we ended up doing this beautiful vegan leather binder and the sheets come in it with tabs. And then, so that was kind of our first dive into products. Um, we've recently yeah. done Christian meditations and we're launching an app here soon. So the journey has just, you know, it's fun to see where God takes small seeds and small dreams and you feel not adequate and it feels scary, just like you talked about sharing your own story, but it's really neat to see those things grow into something more than you probably imagine at the beginning. Totally. I want to go back to something you talked about just a minute ago with where you were saying we shouldn't be afraid to talk about religion. And I had an experience yesterday where I was reading a Facebook forum. It's it's like a Facebook group for many different types of bloggers that are all, we all belong to the same ad network. So um, a lot of really interesting things are discussed in there. And I, I keep an eye on that just because I want to keep up with, you know, what everyone's talking about. And someone brought up a specific brand and they screenshot the, they posted a screenshot of this email that said, I'm sorry, we're basically rejecting you because you talk about religion too much on your page. And we don't want to be associated with anyone who is heavy on religious topics. And I thought, wow, can you imagine if someone was rejected for a campaign right now? I'm sorry, you talk too much about your race, or I'm sorry, you talk too much about being LGBTQ or something like that. Like, why is it okay to discriminate because someone is passionate about their faith, but it, it would so not be okay to discriminate for other reasons. Like, what well, I mean, tell me your feelings about this. Cause I know you have a lot of feelings. <laughs> you know, I have all the feelings on this topic. Yes. But, um, I love that you put it in that context because I don't think we put it in that context enough. Um, but to flip it maybe from even some of like the negative passion that I have on this topic, to think of it positively, 
I, I think one of the, I think we devalue the positive impact of faith and religion in this country, maybe more than anything else. Um, so yes, that's actually against the law. You actually can't do that. But on the flip side, what if we valued what religion and faith brings to our communities? I don't know, and I don't think it's a coincidence that in a time where our country is facing more racial disunity and disharmony and division, maybe more than I think any of us have seen in our lifetime, um, that we also, we just had a poll that came out in 2019 that the drop in religious affiliation is bigger than it's ever been. Like the largest wow. religious affiliation is those who aren't affiliated with any religion. That's the number one growing affiliation. <laughs> and it's kind of astounding when you look at really what those drops mean. And, you know, I'm not like, I haven't done the statistic correlation causation on this, but I have to, I have to think that there is some tie here. And so where I've seen it on such a personal level, what it does for me and the meaning and the purpose and the connection I feel in my life, let's think of what it does in communities as far mm -hmm. as teaching kindness and civility and teaching those virtues that really have been the bedrock of a democracy for hundreds of years. I don't know why we're not sounding more of an alarm to say that that's a problem. That's right. a real problem, especially with the issues we are facing real time right now in an election cycle, when what we need more than anything is just more civility. If we could start with civility, kindness, and love, Let's let's art, you know let's have all the conversations about democracy that we want, but with that bedrock, we'd be fine. We'd be just fine right now. Not to say anything about race and about sexuality and about all the other issues that you know have also blown up in this crazy year 2020. freedom let's let's talk about that for a second too i i think a lot of people don't understand what's at risk if we lose that religious freedom which ironically is kind of what our whole country was founded on so talk to me about that especially with i i think it's so interesting that you have this law background and that you understand this topic more than the average person so tell me your feelings about that too so when i was a couple months ago, I came across this little meme on social media, kind of when we were talking a lot about the Black Lives Matter movement. And it said, did you know that both Anne Frank, Barbara Walters, and Martin Luther King, they were all born in the same year? And wow. I was like, wait, what? Anne Frank was hundreds of years ago in my mind, right? She yes. was like such a person of the past. Barbara Walters is so current. And Martin Luther King was kind of my parents' generation. So yes. The, these were all, I mean, a lot of them, you think of Martin Luther King, maybe more of a race issue, but also religious issue. And Frank, definitely, you think about the religious persecution there. Um, I think it's really easy for us to push religious freedom as a thing of the past or a thing from another country or a thing that just never really will impact me. It doesn't really matter, but even just in a public dialogue scale, if the fastest growing affiliation is those of no religious affiliation, where we just, you have to have a voice to have a say in the laws. You have to have a voice to have a say in what's taught in education. You have to have a voice. And so laws are made by individuals voting, right? Um, right. We have protections from the constitution and depending on how 
that is, or, you know, how that's interpreted, those, some of those rights can be contract, contracted and expanded. Um, but some of the, also how that's interpreted happens through our local lawmaking. What does that look like in our local businesses? What does that look like again in our local education system? And so I would love if more people would take this huge thing of religious liberty from this issue that happened hundreds of years ago or maybe in different parts of the country and said, okay, really any one of our rights, whatever it is, is only as strong as those who really have a voice and who care to speak out about it. The thing that's a little interesting and for me a little scary in the political climate we're in, and even you saying that about that post, is people are actively saying, we don't want to hear those voices. Right. So not only are there less of us, progressively, less of us, there, it's also a voice that people aren't liking because it's really the voice of the religious affiliated often comes in contrast with some of the other progressive movements that are being pushed right now. And so, you know, the traditional family and things like that, they don't really want to hear it. They don't really want to hear the, the views. And so for me, I think to be able to say, don't underestimate what one person can do in a community, mm-hmm. um, especially if there's others around you that are feeling that same. If there's other bloggers who see that and say, well, you know, that's probably right. Like, why would I talk about faith on my platform? not really related to what I talk about. And then to see someone like you stand up and say, no, this actually is going to give as much to my community as anything. And this is what I feel called and passionate to do. That is going to help those in your sphere and those, you know, whoever's listening in whatever sphere you're in, um, also empower those other people to be their voices. So don't think that this is something so far away from us because it's just not. Right. Also, don't be intimidated thinking there's nothing you can do about it. Gosh, that really puts it into perspective. And I'm so glad that we're having this conversation because when we're done, I'm going to go back and comment on that thread. And because I read it and thought to myself, even for me, I thought, wow, I wonder if I've been passed up for business opportunities because I speak about religion too often. And then I thought, you know what? It doesn't matter. And and I know that's the right thing to do. But I should have voiced those thoughts and feelings a little bit better because probably there are people who need that encouragement. So my next question for you is how do we strengthen that, uh, that it's not a movement, but just how do we stay firm and what we, if, if you are a person who's listening to this, a person of faith and you want to keep that strong in our country and in our communities and with your children and your families. How do we do that and not feel like, oh, this is our little thing that we have to keep silent about in our homes and not talk about it? Yes. I was thinking about how many marketing messages we see every day on our phones. Mm -hmm. And I had this thought, we probably have more messaging pushed to us than some people did in their entire lifetimes. In one day, we probably have more marketing messaging, right? Yes. And so if you are passionate about whatever the topic is, but if in this case, if it's faith, you need to remind yourself of those things daily because you're going to have other messages come in that you need to have some litmus test to weigh it against, right? Is this truth or is this truth? You need to figure that out. But the only way to do that is to still all those other voices, to set them aside and to set set aside time every day to really reground yourself. And again, this would really work for any topic, not just faith, for anything that you're feeling pulled or passionate about to do, you have to take that time and shut the world outside. Um, Another one, and I've said this before, but I want to share this little experience I had the other day. Don't worry about the magnitude 
I think it's very easy to say, but who am I? And I have this thought come to me probably once a week. What, you know, what good are you doing? And what can you really do to make a difference? And um, I had had a setback a couple weeks ago with a project we're working on at Small Seed and haven't been able to have approvals to do what we wanted to do. And we've worked on this project literally for three years. And so I have been so frustrated and disappointed, but also like a little bit confused. Like, well, why is this happening? Like, I felt very moved to do it. I have done what we've been asked to do. And we've, we've put in hours and hours and money on this, as well as some other really talented people. And so I just knelt down and kind of poured my heart out. Like, God, am I even worth anything? Like, am I doing any good here? And I had this image come to my mind um, of looking down on a big city like you would at nighttime from an airplane. You know, when you can Mm -hmm. come over a city and you just see these thousands of lights. And I had the scripture come to mind in Matthew that says, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. In the past, when I read that scripture, I've always felt this like immense pressure. Like I, you know, if you're the city on the hill, you have to be this huge light and you have to do it all. And you have to be the answer for everybody and you're not doing enough. And I felt like it was God looking down at the city and saying, you know, a city is made up of a thousand lights and you keep doing your best. And this friend over here in her home is going to continue doing her best and your neighbor down the road and your friend back in Connecticut and those people you love in Croatia, they are going to keep doing their best. And that city will be seen for what it is. The prejudice and the false narratives around faith and religion. Once you see enough good people, that's going to drop. People are going to realize like that's just not a true narrative. And so for me, it was just really comforting to know it's okay that I'm one light. I don't have to be the whole city. I don't have to be the whole thing. I can be one. So one, again, number one, work on your own spirituality, your own relationship with God. Don't worry about where your platform is or how big or small you think it is. God is the expert of abundance and the loaves and the fishes and trust Uh in that. He can use a little boy to feed a city. He can do plenty with you. Um, But there's also a lot of other things you can do in your community right now. One, just study up on the issue. Find a way to know a little bit more about the issues in your own community, first off, or maybe in your state. Um, another one, be a good neighbor. This might sound silly, but you don't, if you don't know your neighbors and their needs, how are you going to stand up if persecution happens to them or if there are things that they're feeling? And also, how can you be a light for them? A quarter of Americans, I think this study came out a couple years ago too, don't, a quarter of Americans don't know any of their neighbors, have never met one of their neighbors, a quarter of us, four houses has not met anyone around them. And I'm actually not really surprised by that number in the different neighborhoods I've lived in. Um, So start there, get to know the people around you and their needs. Um, Speak up when you feel called to and when you feel passionate about something, but be a model of civility and courage, speaking Mm -hmm. understanding for other people and their experiences. Um, Voting is a huge one, be a part of the political process. Again, this could be on a bigger scale or smarter scale. One that I love and I feel so strongly about, and I know you and I have had a, have had a lot of conversations on this one, is get to know people of other faiths. Yeah. It's a point to see how their faith impacts their life. Go to a service with them, a worship service. Create a service project together. Um, support them in their religious freedom as well. Another one we've already talked about, get involved in education. Um, mm-hmm. Be a voice for believers for your kids. There are Bible studies at colleges and in high schools. Like there are so many cool things you can do in educational settings. 
that if believers don't do it, it's not just going to show up, right? There's no one else that has like some ulterior motive that's going to be like, oh, I know, I'm going to go set up all these Bible studies of people who believe <laughs> who are going to provide these opportunities. And you can be a same representative in business and profess professional associations or a representative of, of just a part of those conversations. So there's the last one I'm just going to say, and is just pray for your country, pray for your community, pray for your families. Um, there's two stories in the Bible that I think people are really familiar with. One, Queen Esther, who was mm -hmm. put in a place at a time. And I mean, she was married to the king, so that also helped. But <laughs> she was able to create a political climate that would have literally killed her people and gave them freedom. And there was another one. Um, there was this king of Persia, Cyrus, who didn't want them to build a temple there. And the people prayed just for his heart to be open, not so he was changed and he was a Jew and he loved the Jew, just so they could have a place to worship and to do. So don't underestimate those small things, the prayer, the reaching out to your neighbor, all those. But I think there's a lot more we can do than we, I think, typically think of. Yeah, so, so many great, great suggestions and answers to that question. I'm super grateful for that. When you started at the Small Seed, why was it so important to you to bring women of different faiths together or people of different faiths? It seems like it's kind of like a women's organization, but maybe it's for men and women, but just people of different faiths. Why was that important to you? And why not just do one that was very specific to your faith? Why did it matter to bring people together? Um this actually also started in the hospital. I had, a, there's a, there was a chaplain in the hospital that was assigned to patients, which I actually didn't even know was a thing. Like I've heard of chaplains in the army or things like that. Mm -hmm. There was this, the chaplain for the whole hospital at Yale and she was incredible. And she would come in my room and, you know, you can imagine a lot of what she's doing is maybe people facing life and death situations or situations with loved ones and coming and doing more spiritual counseling. But she sat down and she became familiar with my story. And then I became familiar with hers and she had gone and got her PhD in religious studies and was one of the most fascinating people I had ever talked to about religion. And when I started to talk to her, like the amount of spiritual light that I felt and the amount of understanding I started seeing of, no, this is way bigger than my own faith. This mm -hmm. expands to the whole world. So many people need the joy again and the connection and the peace and purpose that I've had, to, I've been able to have my whole life. Like that is a gift that so many people struggle with the loneliness and all of the, all of that. And listening to it from her, I just, I think it just broadened my perspective. Like there's billions of people on the earth, me alone, or even me and my faith, like we're reaching millions, maybe. Think of what we do if we join arms and we collaborate together and we work with people in different countries who have voices where the, right where they are. I'm I'm here to teach people about Jesus Christ. It's not to talk about it's not to talk about the small seed. It's to show people he can heal the wounds and he can bring the hope and he can do the things. And so whether that's talking about the chosen, which I'm a super fan of and has nothing to do with my religion, or whether that's talking about this other amazing cause or the um for people who are struggling in mental health or whatever it is, if I can bring them Jesus, he really is the answer. And so anyone who's willing to link arms with me to do that, like, let's, let's do it. There's a right. lot of people to touch. Yeah. I love that answer so much. And I also am a super fan of the chosen. Um, and <laughs> so I good. think their, their mission is so beautiful because it is 
just bringing people to Christ and getting people to open their Bibles. And, and I actually was able to interview Dallas Jenkins and his podcast, I think we'll go live just before this, but he has that same, he, he talks about basically the same thing. You know, if they're getting people to open the Bible, then, then that's, they've accomplished their mission. So I love that. I love him and the work they're doing. Yeah, I do too. With the small seed, what's your greatest hope that, or belief, you know, with this, that you, that you hope, I guess what's, what's the end all we just talked about. Dallas Jenkins says he just wants people to open the Bible. What are you guys trying to accomplish? What's your greatest hope there with the small seed? Um, Definitely to empower this generation to become modern disciples. It seems a little antiquated sometimes. You even in the chosen, you're reading about these men who lived at the time of Jesus Christ. But for us, it's to to show and to teach and share stories of what it looks like to be a disciple today. Um, so if we can inspire this generation to do that, to start studying, you know, again with the the study journal and with the meditations, all of that drives back to that personal discipleship. Um, and then start to link arms. And we have a couple campaigns coming up that I just feel really fortunate to be doing where we then can do that on a broader scale, right? And be able to to show discipleship in all its forms to a world that I think is increasingly hungry. Um, As far as the belief, and I think, again, this goes back to the beginning of the interview, it really just is that God is real, that he loves us, that we are known and we are loved And that life of faith carries purpose and meaning and peace and perspective that the world is looking for in so many other places. Um, You actually posted something, a quote that I was going to post from Dieter F. Uchtdorf, I think just a couple days ago Mm -hmm. that I read and was like, ah, this totally captures discipleship. When when I read his whole talk and like this, this captures it so well, I'm going to read it if you're okay with that. Yes. Um, He says, remember that discipleship is not about doing things perfectly. It's about doing things intentionally. It is your choices that show who you truly are far more than your abilities. Even when you fail, you can choose not to give up, but rather discover your courage, press forward and rise up. That is the great test of the journey. And when we use that term discipleship, it was very intentional because when you find the disciples in the Bible, almost all of them have a complicated story or struggled with things at different points, or sometimes didn't make the right choices. And how, how good it is that we have those as our examples, because that is discipleship. We're not, we don't need to be Jesus. We are supposed to be disciples who follow him and do our best. In, in the scriptures, it talks about like Jesus is, he says, I am the light, which she shall hold up. You don't have to hold yourself up. And I'm so grateful for that, but we have enough light to, to just point And I just have to say like how grateful I am for you for doing this over and over again, even in the face of maybe losing some sponsors or followers or the things that (laughs) feed your family and puts food on the table, um, that you are this champion. And it's so inspiring to me as I try to do the same to have those people alongside me to say, okay, yeah, yep. There's, we're, we're in this together. We're doing this. So thank you for the good that you do and the light that you hold up all the time. Thanks, Lizzie. I appreciate that so much. I feel like the small seed really did give me that that first little taste of this is this is what it feels like to share your light and on a really big platform um and i am so passionate too about the fact that i believe social media was created 
for good and created by, you know, the inspiration of God so that we could have a greater impact for good. And it is scary at first, but we do really need all of the people around us to link arms. And, and I, I feel like not even just for missionary work, not even just to bring brand new people into the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also to keep people, to keep people from feeling like, okay, everyone cool has dropped off and it's not cool anymore to be uh, strong in your faith. And it's more fun out there and it's more hip and you'll be more recognized and more accomplished and more successful if you just leave these things behind. Because I feel like any and all of the success I've had has been direct blessings from Heavenly Father saying to me, thanks for sharing the gospel and I'm going to help you out because you're willing to do that. So I, you and I are, are so on the same page with so many of these things and with, with everything that you've said today, but I just, I so appreciate too. I have to say, give you one last thanks for being vulnerable too and sharing your thoughts about feeling like you're inadequate or why, you know, why me? And I've felt those things so much lately. I have felt totally that you can call it imposter syndrome or, um, just feeling like, uh, who do I think I am? And I think we all feel that at times. And I think it's important for us to voice those things because I think it is the adversaries. One of his greatest tools is to make us feel like, well, you're not that special and you're not, who do you think you are? And you're not really making that big of a difference. And I have felt that increasingly lately. And I just think we have to battle that by talking about it and by saying that if you've felt those feelings, you're not the only one. And yet there's a greater purpose and a greater voice if you'll just let that in. And that's, you know, our Heavenly Father saying, no, I'm, I'm back here with just armies of angels rooting for you and cheering you on. And I've got a much bigger purpose for you than you can even see yourself. So um, I'm just grateful for all the things you've shared today, especially that, that vulnerable piece of feeling inadequate. Cause I have felt that a lot lately. And I think, I think we all feel that, but it's really important to not to shed light on it so that it doesn't seem like we're the only ones cause we're not. Yep. So, um, My last question for you is, if there's one message you want people to remember from this podcast episode, what do you want that one message to be? That you are loved and you matter to God and he knows you and he sees you and you have good to do right where you are and he'll make you enough for it. I love that. Thanks so much, Lizzie, for sharing all of your light and your inspiration and the good work that you're doing right now. I appreciate it so much. And it has personally changed my life completely from that truly the small seed that it planted in the very beginning of my journey of sharing faith. So um, where can people find you if they want to continue to be inspired and follow along with the work that you guys are doing and get involved? Yes, we are. Um, our website is thesmallseed.com and we're on Instagram as the small seed. And then we will have an app that probably out when this episode launches and the journals are all there um but you can find us there and we would love to have you join us in this work and this movement awesome well i will we'll link to all of those in the show notes and thanks again for sharing your time with us yes thanks so much for having me corinne 
Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode. Thank you.